0: Hello and welcome to another Marcus Meets, a show which is available via iTunes, podcast for Apple devices, or you can listen via Acast, which works on absolutely any type of smartphone out there. However you want to listen to us, the easiest way of getting involved is by heading to marcusbronzy.com forward slash meets, that's dot com forward slash meets. Now, on today's episode, we are joined by a legendary broadcaster who has pretty much worked on most of the national television stations and radio stations. I mean, Virgin Radio Now, she's done Radio 1, Radio 2, 5, and 6. Um, she's been on BBC television. She's been on MTV, on Capital Radio. I mean, loads of things. Um, so I was really glad when she spent a little bit of time having a conversation about her what she's up to what she's doing her name is edith bowman and one thing i didn't know that she did was actually she's quite a cracking photographer i mean i really like your photos edith
2: we always had cameras around as kids and stuff so something that i was was just there but i only really sort of started started i mean i don't take it seriously but uh a real hobby a real kind of passion thing for me um probably when I started at Radio 1 and, and manipulating my access and getting, you know, side of stage to take pictures of bands and stuff. And then when I was really pregnant with my first kid, I went and did a night class just once a week to kind of correct my bad habits and actually find out the mechanics of a camera and what it does and why things, why you have to set things this way and that way. So, yeah, it's been really fun, actually. And I just, um, it's weird, I just did a film for... um country file you know bbc's program that's going out in uh january about my hometown and the director wanted me to incorporate my photography into the film so i had to take loads of pictures for the film that they're going to you know use which is really nice so it's it was it's weird the first time that i kind of like showed people cause yeah. it's always just been something i've done for me that i just enjoy doing really cool and,
0: and you said you always had cameras around when you were younger yeah. Then, yeah? so is it like your mum or your dad or? both
2: of them I mean not, not on any kind of great professional standard more just kind of like you know uh, point and shoot cameras really and stuff my dad did invest in a uh, an, an SLR when I was um, maybe about 12 or 13 and I was kind of fascinated by that and changing lenses and you know that kind of thing not everything being, mecha- being instant and sort of mechanical so yeah I just kind of watched him really
0: Cool, and you're using like SLRs and stuff now, because I know iPhones can take your cast photos. Yeah, no, well. I've
2: got, I've got a, I've got a digital um, Canon 5D that I use with about five six lenses, and then I've also got a second hand uh, film Pentax camera that I've got with two lenses that I kind of use occasionally. Uh, in fact, that Primrose Hill picture was taken on that on film,
0: on actual real film, a real film. Yeah. Okay, so playing it down, but if you're like using real <laughs> film, then you're like, yeah, okay, you're into your photography. Um, what's your favorite type of photography, though? Because I've seen like there's landscape stuff, there's portrait stuff.
2: Yeah, I am. Um, when I was doing this course, I, up until that point, I was only really just taking pictures of bands, you know, be that kind of wider scale of you know the stage and and kind of what's going on there, but also face and stuff. And through the course, being one of the assignments that I was given was to to do incorporate landscapes, and and so I was kind of forced into doing it, but I really liked it. And then weirdly from this uh the country file thing, he was like, I need some I need some landscape stuff from you as well as people. So it's quite nice. I quite like being given assignments. Yeah. I quite like it, yeah. Um I, yeah. It's quite nice. I quite like it's when I watch um when I watch like old Spider Man and it's kinda of Peter Parker's been given his assignments from the papers like that. and I quite like that. Yeah. i've been like asked to do things
0: a little bit of focus helps just standing around the camera
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. my friend toby who's a, a great photographer gave me the best advice when i kind of started taking it a little bit more serious and he said uh he said if, if when you've got your when you've got your frame before you press the button uh just give it a second because you might it, don't be in too much of a hurry. So, kind of almost take a breath before you take that picture because you'll you either reframe it or you'll find something different within the f- the frame that you want to focus on. So, just really take really a little of bit of time. Yeah, take a to breath. Take it in. Mm.
0: Unless it's like sports photography, I suppose they're just like,
2: yeah, yeah, Evans yeah. on automatic with all yeah, that. Surely, yeah, okay. yeah.
0: But is there a picture that you've taken? You're like, oh, I really love that. That's my
2: favorite. Yeah, there's well, band-wise, there's one of Florence that I took, um, uh, which was at a Radio One event in Hackney. Yeah. And um, she kind of, just the way that the light was and there's a kind of reflection off of her gold mic stand or microphone and it kind of gets that sort of, that sun shard. And um, I really I, I really was kind of like, oh, that's quite good. I like that. So that's one of my favourites, definitely. And then there's kind of a nice one that I've got from, I mean, the Hill one I really like as well. I just think it's, you kind of can't tell when it was taken. I kind of like that about it. It's quite, you know, I like the same way that I... Make my own take, my own interpretations of people's music. Mm. Kind of like that thing where it's it's an unobvious picture where you're kind of like, where is that? What is that? When is that? I like that about it. The sort of um, the unknownness of it.
0: Very strong silhouettes in it as well. So it kind of, like Mm. you said, it kind of makes it feel timeless. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, it's good to know that uh, London weather can actually be beautiful (laughs) sometimes.
2: It can be. Yeah, it can be dramatic as well. That's what's great about it.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Mm. Um, Speaking about coming from a different angle, soundtracking yeah um your podcast Mm. what's it about uh
2: well (laughs) well uh it's about it's really about filmmakers and their relationship with music both personally and professionally and the podcast kind of came off the back of me doing a show on six music um when i was there called uh, screen six and it never really got the love that we thought it deserved on the station it was kind of like we never had a regular slot. We'd kind of get two or three shows every three or four months, and I just felt like it's such a massive part of the art of filmmaking that there's there's a story, a con- continual story that should be told. So, um, me and a couple of mates who worked on the show anyway kind of decided that we would look at taking it out of uh, on our own. And so, we spoke to a few film companies to see if there was if they'd kind of you know give us the access to to talent almost on goodwill to start with because we didn't know if it was going to, how we were going to launch it or get it out there. And they did, which was great. You know, the first interview we did for it was John Favreau. So to get someone of that stature uh, was was fantastic. And then that kind of really helped us to kind of go to other people. Look, we've, we've already done one with John Favreau. We could send them a, you know, really rough edit of it to give them an idea of what we wanted to do with it. And then, yeah. And so that's been, I mean, this week it's our 18th show. So we've been going for eighteen weeks, mm.
1: uh,
2: and we don't make any money from it. We do it because we love it, and we, uh, and we just we want to kind of all never stop making it because, you know, there's just something different from each each week by week, and and you know, and the great thing about it not being set, set by a broadcaster is that you don't have um, kind of defined goalposts. So we want to take it out to actors we might actually be doing our first actor for it in the next couple of weeks i'm not going to jinx it by saying who it is but mm-hmm. um but you know and also then bringing in writers and uh you know screenwriters and producers and the composers and stuff as well so you know there's a massive list of who we want to do in it and stuff so i, I love it i mean I'm, I'm off to do one today with a quite a new and young filmmaker called mike mills who had a great film out a couple of years ago called beginners that um uh, Christopher Plummer won the Oscar for for his performance, um, and then he's got this new film out called "20th Century Women," which stars Annette Bening, uh, Greta Gerwig and El Fanning, um, as well as some great male actors as well. But music is a, such an intrinsic part to the to the story um, and, this, and the and the time that it's set, and and the, also the generational thing as well with music. It's um, I'm really looking forward to chatting to him. So it's nice to be able to kind of flip it around with it being new filmmakers, established filmmakers um, and, you know, men and women and across the board with film, really. So I love it. I love
0: doing it. Excellent. Yes. It's a podcast uh, about film soundtracks, which is a really does interesting thing. It news. says
2: on the tin. Yes,
0: it's very run sil with it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, so how important are film soundtracks to you?
2: Uh, to me, they're 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 hugely important. I mean, I think if you if you had the the ability to to watch a film and just mute the music in the film, the films most of the films you watch wouldn't have the same impact on you that they have because of the music. And weirdly, this whole idea stemmed from an interview I did ages ago with J.J. J. Abrams uh, for the for the first Star Trek film that he worked on, where he said uh, he was. I can't remember how we got into the subject of it but he said, you know, I was lucky enough to be invited to Skywalker Ranch to record the audio for for, for Star Trek and George Lucas took me into uh, to one of the audio studios and he said, I want to play something. And he played him the opening uh, first few minutes from the original Star Wars film. And it didn't happen. It was like and so I think that um, we very much take for granted and underestimate the power of the music and the soundscape as well that's created by the amazing sound recordists. Uh, for granted, and what's wonderful is, you know, and there are some filmmakers who don't use music, like Ken Loach, I, Daniel Blake, his new film, there's, I think there's any music in it at all. He has used music in the past, but some filmmakers don't use it and rely on it, and everybody uses it differently. Mm. So, you know, each thing, case is unique but I think it's it's such an important intrinsic part of filmmaking
0: definitely I, I definitely agree with that I don't think Jaws would be as scary without that sort of totally. classic Jaws soundtrack in it in fact I still think it lays a little like gives me a little shiver <laughs> um I always say to my friends because I, I concur like, I agree with you fully that uh, there's loads of great music in film And it's one of the last places you can find classical music that's, you know, being created specifically, you know, this year, last year, you know, we're not listening to something from the 15th century. Yeah,
2: and being listened to by a mass audience.
0: Do you think film is going to continue to be one of the last places we get brand new classical music?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, I mean, I think, you know, things like, uh, things like uh, classical specific radio stations and stuff are really important for, for pumping out new classical music but you you look at the the scale of what some of these composers are able to achieve uh you know i think and some of them are classically trained some of them are not um and it doesn't i don't think it should matter it should matter about how that music makes you feel um and you know and i definitely listen to a lot more classical music now because of how i'm introduced to it through film than i ever did i don't know much i'm not i'm not in any way shape or form um in, informed on classical music, I, I'm not classically trained. Um, I I know what I like, and I know how things make me feel. But you know, I will very easily put on Hans Zimmer's Interstellar soundtrack on vinyl at home because it's an incredible piece of music, and it's the basis of that is a church organ. So you know, for me, I think that um, classical music, in the way that it's score is is made for film, is is uh, is a great way of. You know, you think about the amount of kids who love Harry Potter and you have that Hedwig tune written by John Williams, which is such an iconic piece of music. The Star Wars theme tunes, Indiana Jones, E.T., all that kind of stuff. They're, they're iconic pieces of classical music, score classical music that we are introduced to through film. So, definitely.
0: Mm. Have you got a favourite piece of uh, film music at the moment?
2: Oh, man. Um, I i mean, I, I go back to again and again and again the... Um, the Hans Zimmer soundtrack from Interstellar but there's a wonderful piece of music that um, a composer called Max Richter has done which um, and he's wonderful and he's someone that we're, we're going to be speaking to over the next couple of weeks for soundtracking but he has this piece of music um, I can't remember what it's called uh, off the top of my head but it's, it's used as a bookend uh, for Arrival the new Denis Villeneuve film and so the it's already exists and it's already used in a number of other films. But Denis specifically asked Max if he could use it at the start and the end of, of Arrival and Max was quite apprehensive about it being used again in a film. And so uh, Denis, you know, personally spoke to him about why he wanted that piece of music and why it was so important and intrinsic to the film and, and it and it, and it finalised in the film that, that Max was, was very happy for it to be used in that. You know, and the rest of the film is, is scored by uh, Johan Johansson so um, for me at the minute, that, that, that Max Richter score element to that film is, and has made me go back and listen to all oh, Max other stuff as well.
0: Excellent. I'll check that. I've seen the film, but um, I'll make sure I'll give it another yeah, listen. it's the amazing. Yeah, great film as well. Yeah,
2: really good. Do you think you'd ever want to curate
0: soundtracks or be involved in the actual production of sound for film?
2: I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm a fan. You know, I kind of like, whether it's, whether it's doing stuff on music on my Virgin Radio breakfast show or whether it's doing the podcast, I never profess to be any kind of, um, uh, you know, aficionado on it. I'm a fan, that's kind of where I always come to things from. Um, I'd love to get involved in production on film, but that's way down the line. I'm kind of enjoying what I'm doing at the minute. Um, But I don't know about the music side of things because... Yeah, I know a lot about music, and I know I know a lot of music through being a fan. There's there, that, that seems to involve almost too much pressure. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think it's that thing of almost you get a snapshot of seeing how how hard, how much hard work goes into it, and I think mm-hmm. you know you we we're we spoiled because we you know we spend our money and go and watch these incredible pieces of art in a cinema, and you. you I have no idea the amount of work that goes into it. So definitely, yeah,
0: yeah, great podcast though. Um, I Thank recommend you. people check it out. You did mention that um, making a podcast is different to radio, say conventional commercial and public service radio.
2: Um, well, I I think most mostly it's just down to that those kind of restraints and constraints. You know, in terms of you can do what you want, you don't have to comply to what your broadcaster expects of you um so you know you it's kind of it's 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 up to you you have so much freedom with regards to it, be that the subject matter be that and um, the discussion points be that who you talk to what you talk about and um, the one thing that i think that um is is an issue that for us, in terms of the music, you know, we're limited in terms of how much music we can play, with regards to the length of of each track, and and that's down to licensing and things like that. And I would never ever want to um, to jeopardise uh, musicians and the work that they do, because there's a whole discussion o- on that already, with regards to streaming and stuff, and making sure that artists are are um, you know are paid what what they deserve, sort of thing. So we'd never want to uh, to kind of jeopardise. That, but it's it's um you know we we put a lot of production into into the podcast which um I think makes it stand out slightly to other podcasts that you know the 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 great thing about podcasts is the simplicity of them you can pretty much turn up with a microphone record you know top and tailor or whatever and, and stick it out there's not much editing that needs required there's not much production value you need required if that's the way that you want to go with it but we just felt that for ours it it for it to come to life and for it to be the thing that we wanted it to be we needed to weave in all this music so there's great things about podcasts and what i love about it is the fact that it gives it gives just people the opportunity to 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 make broadcasts and to make shows that they're passionate about Mm. so it's um i think it's going to be a, a constantly growing um medium really audio boom i think alone of like they've hit a billion a billion mm. listens or whatever or streams you know yeah. it's kind of it's the numbers are huge
0: yeah great numbers um but you're also doing your broadcasting thing mm. as well virgin radio um how's the show going
2: i love it i am um, i haven't enjoyed work um as much as this for a long time and i think a lot of that's got to do with how um collaborative it is here um it's just it's a real breath of fresh air to be honest and when you know when liam my boss came to me um o- over a year ago and sort of said look we're relaunching virgin radio love you to be involved this is you know what we were thinking you know and, and being offered the opportunity as a woman to host a breakfast show on my own was was kind of like wow okay because you know my first question was who with and it's like no no, no just be you i was like okay and then just you know from you know the people that work on the show mick my producer who's just incredible we have a great relationship and such an open and honest relationship you know we were joking yesterday about you know uh, you know, he was kind of saying about other people that he'd worked with in the past, and how he he really respects how open we can be with each other. And you know, we can be idiots some days and be like, but you know, it's not you don't you do focus on that. It's kind of like, all oh, right, yeah, no, I, I agree or disagree with you. Move on, next thing, sort of thing. And it's brilliant to have that, and it's brilliant to be able to bring so much to the table, be it guests, music, be taken seriously, everything to be given a fair shot. And you know, and I book most of the guests that are non music related on the show. Uh, and it's a complete open discussion with regards to the musical guests that we have on the show and I've never had that much freedom and say and involvement in a show previously and so for me it's a breath of fresh air and I think it makes us really stand out in terms of especially things like playlists you know I'm, we have playlists every Wednesday after the show which I'm involved in uh, I've never had that before and so for us, the playlist is about, the music that's put on playlists is about quality and not quantity, and not artist driven. And it's like, oh, so-and-so's got a new record out that will go on playlist. Well, no, it won't go on playlist if it's not any good. Mm. So I think that's utterly refreshing for me in terms of the past experience that I've had in an all number of radio stations that I've worked in. Yeah. So I love it. I, I absolutely love it. I've never had a day since we started, uh, the first show was the 31st of March, 2016, and I just love coming to work. How
0: important is it, do you think, for commercial radio to be making decisions in the same way that Virgin is, you know, being strong and confident in their decision when it comes to playlists and presenters instead of just box ticking, which let's be I can be frank and say some commercial radio stations do, Virgin doesn't, but there are a whole heap of people that do.
2: Yeah, I think that, um, well, it depends on what you want to be, doesn't it? It depends on what type of station you you want to be depend, you know depends on what audience that you're trying to hit and we just felt like there was a little bit of a gap in the market when we launched you know those people who kind of feel like they're uh radio one's too young for them they don't feel like they're old enough to listen to two they like commercial radio stations they like parts of commercial they like uh six music feels like a little bit too musical for them so we just felt like music wise there was a market there that we could really tap into and for all of us you know we've got a great mix of DJs and the, the one thing that everybody loves is music so we're all really passionate about it and we're not on the station and on the shows to be anything apart from honest and genuine about what we talk about and that I think is what makes it quite unique and different as well um and all the djs are really genuine to themselves as well they're not trying to be they're not trying to be something that they think someone else wants them to be it's about being genuine um and i do think that more more um commercial stations should try and strive for that
0: yeah great and um where can we find your show
2: so you can hear my show monday to friday six till ten uh, either on the virgin radio website which is virginradio.co.uk or or on your digital radio which you have if you haven't retuned uh, there was a big old push for retuning back in march because there was a whole not just us other radio stations as well that were being put on to the uh, the system and then we've got an app it's free so search our uh, app store for virgin radio uk and it's free and you can have us wherever whenever you want
0: wicked and um with regards to uh virgin radio before we uh, move on how are you coping with the earlies? Because everyone's got their own different
2: style of the earlies. It's fine. I've got two kids. They were my trainer. <laughs> so, yeah, I just do have to do the school run in the morning. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, I, I, it's fine, to be honest. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with it at All, all right. Yeah. Cool.
0: Right, fair enough. Some yeah. people are like, oh, I've, I know. No, some people don't talk for like the first two hours of their day. And, you know, you're yeah, no, you're well, I, I
2: would be in trouble if I didn't talk for the first <laughs> two hours of my day. So, yeah, fair enough. it's kind of my job.
0: Fair enough. Um, yeah. Um, so, you spoke a lot about passion and music and filling gaps. Edith Bowman's Songs to Have Sex to on Sky Arts.
1: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
0: What led you down that interesting path? Another area, kind of like soundtracking, it's quite an interesting niche to get into.
2: Uh, I I had a meeting with uh, uh, one of the guys who runs who who, who runs Sky Arts, Phil Edgar Jones, who I've known for years. And, um, you know, it's quite hard to get your ideas off the ground. Like, kind of similarly, what we were saying about podcasts, podcast being a great way of going, I've got an idea. Well, you can just do it because the facilities are there for you to just do it. With TV stuff, it's slightly different. So, uh, I had a meeting with Phil just about he'd not long started Sky Arts and he wanted me to get involved in the station and uh, and the channel and doing some stuff and so we just had this meeting and he said that they had this they had a few seasons coming up you know sometimes tv channels they'll do seasons so they were doing a sex season and uh I was like he's like so have you got any if you've got any ideas for that let me know I was like what about songs to have sex to and he was like that kind of went oh what's that then? I was like, well, I kind of think there's two ways we could go. It could be, I don't, I don't want to go down the route of it being like a kind of, and at 10, you know, a kind of chart thing. It's like, um, I, I wanted it to be a bit of an exploration about what does, you know, songs of sex is almost kind of like a little bit of a, of a, of a cheeky headline into something that's a bit more interesting. So it's more about what music does to you. And, uh, and, and how it connects to us and then looking at certain songs and certain types of music that have our assumptions that they are sensual and sexual and, and trying to work out whether the songwriters um, you know kind of had that in mind when they were thinking about it and composing and things like that so yeah it was great it was it was interesting so it was a really good learning experience because you know I'd never made a documentary before so Sky suggested that uh, a specific production company that i do it with and then they brought in a director so as you bring in more people your your initial idea gets slightly um uh condensed not condensed uh, diluted sorry so you have to what i learned with that experience was that you have to almost just take a little bit of a step back and not be so precious about things and just you know the, the channel of a thing a certain thing that they want to broadcast so you have to fight your cause in terms of what you want it to be but you also have to know when to back off and and be um you know, find compromise and stuff like that. So it was a really good experience.
0: Yes, yeah, so it's a great show. And, and you answer what I'm about to ask you in great detail. And there's loads of different opinions on this. But for you, what is it that makes music sexy?
2: Um, I think the thing that makes music connect in any way is emotion and how it makes you feel. And that might be, um, might be a voice. It might be a chord sequence. It might be an instrument. I think each situation is different really mm,
0: mm, and uh, and and you also dive into the science of sexiness as well in music which is like you said you know it, it could have gone like when you read the title you think oh is this a clickbait you know like you said and at five sexy, yeah, yeah. but um you actually into to a scientifics area of it well, as well Yeah this you? is
2: great um, We spoke to a couple of people actually Like a musicologist Who ended up not being in the final cut of the show Which is a real shame But um, Zoe Cormier who's a scientist She calls herself a guerrilla scientist And she's written this brilliant book Called Sex, Drugs and Rock and Roll And she, you know Music is the one thing and No other art form does it. Nothing else does it where it connects both sides of the brain. You take a cross-section of a brain uh, of, a, of a composer and it will be very different to the cross-section brain of a screenwriter or a painter or a photographer. Uh, and it is the one thing that connects both sides of the brain and how it has a chemical reaction on us. So that was really interesting to kind of get in, into that. So it wasn't about me. It's mm. about music in general.
0: Great, great stuff. And um, you mentioned uh, book writing as well and you, you obviously um, have Edith Bowman's Great British Music Festivals. I'm not going to ask you, you know, do you like festivals? Because I know you do. <laughs> but what is it you wanted the reader to take away from that book?
2: I wanted it to feel like a companion. So I didn't want it to be preachy where it's going, this is the festival you should go to. I wanted it more to be about, um, you know, if you if you have been to festivals, then hopefully this will remind you of those great Uh, experiences that you've had if you've not been to a festival these are the ones that maybe you should try because by hopefully reading this you'll get a little bit of an understanding of what goes on at them and it was just it was it was a really lovely kind of almost a bit like a sort of um, filing system for me in terms of going through all those amazing experiences I've been lucky enough to have work-wise you know personally as well of going to festivals um, in different guises over the years and just kind of almost taking stock at how lucky I've been to go to so many and stuff.
0: Mm. And you've seen your fair share of festivals and am I right in saying they've increased in popularity over the years?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely more festivals than there ever used to be, but there's also a few, some that are going by the wayside and, you know, they come and go, to be honest. You know, Tea in the Park is a good example that's taken a year off this year. They've had a, a really hard couple of years where they were forced to leave the site that they've been in for over 20 years. Uh, So they had to find a new site and you're never going to get a festival right first year. So there was, you know, the first year there was a lot of teething problems with regards to traffic on and off site. Last year, I mean, I was there last year and I thought it was a great festival. They'd cut the numbers, so it meant like it had more of a boutique feel to it. Uh, Beautiful site and they just keep coming up against negative feedback and responses so they've taken a year off this year so they can address that rather than rushing through it so you know i think that festivals need the support of us music live music you know going public to to be able to survive so we shouldn't take them for granted but yeah they're more popular than they ever have been i think
0: wicked and what do you think the future of festivals has in store for us
2: well i think what's interesting is that you find all these new ones that keep popping up that are uh they're they're more niche they're smaller it's not about the size of them the scale of them it's more about what they can offer that the other one doesn't so you know how you have all these great kind of like green man's a great festival because it incorporates the local kind of community and uh, as well as great music so fantastic setting but also you know bringing in local produce and supporting the local industry as well which is something that i think is is uh, is really good, and then you have these, you know, the kind of the enormous ones, be Glastonbury or Reading and Leeds, and things like that as well.
0: Mm, mm. And you a fan a festival grub as well. I'm a bit of a foodie, so yeah.
2: No, I think festivals nail it when it comes to food. Now there's so much, there's so much on offer. Mm, it's mm. not like your burger stalls and your Thai green curries anymore well, like no, it used no. to be.
0: No crap in a box. There's exactly. Like, there, well, like I mean, you load. definitely
2: get it in a box, but it's not so much <laughs> crap. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's it. Um, what? Again, you've done loads of festivals. Is there a, a specific memory that holds a special place in your heart in terms of festival experience?
2: Probably watching my my husband play for the first time at Glastonbury was was um was pretty special. It was a big deal for him because it was the first festival he ever went to as a music fan. So um they played like five times over the weekend the first week first time that they played but um yeah that was pretty amazing just seeing the response that they got so, yeah,
0: yeah and that make you feel
2: just proud really. Yeah. yeah.
0: Amazing experience I guess. Yeah. I guess. Um so you've done festivals, um, we've spoken about your book, spoken about TV. It's fair to say you're a successful broadcaster. Um, the radio side of things, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, radio one, two, five, six, Virgin yeah. Radio. There's quite a few people that listen to this that are interested in getting into broadcasting. Yeah. Have you got any tips for anyone that's interested in, in becoming a professional broadcaster?
2: Well, I think you've got the means to do it. You know, there which when there when I started, yeah, I kind of did it by getting work experience at my local radio station and and being a bit of a sponge and absorbing everything and, uh, you know, being able to help someone, whether it be filing CDs or editing something or doing research, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of learned the production um, uh, important elements before I even went and started thinking about being a broadcaster, really, which I think is really important and really helpful because you have an understanding of what everybody else around you is doing. But you've got the means there of, of making your own broadcast, be it a podcast or putting together your own show. So for me it's about people that are uh truthful. So that's about being honest and truthful about what you talk about, but also that notion of just be yourself. Don't try and be someone that some that you think someone else wants you to be. Don't be like a broadcaster because it can be it's really transparent. Um and, you know, I'm I'm not gonna stick with it. Yeah. Uh, hey, like none of that oh, sort that of that, that of, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Smash I'm and wacky nice and, and crazy yeah. yeah 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 and then you know as the mic goes down they're kind of like yeah. the most depressed person in the world it's <laughs> just like yeah
0: yeah listen to what Edith said take that on board um you do loads so I'm gonna ask you about forthcoming projects what can you tell me about that you've got coming up
2: um I haven't got many plans at the minute to be honest because I am so busy at the minute with mm-hmm. the radio show and with um with the podcast as well you know it's still early days for that we've only been going 18 weeks um i'm hosting film 2016 next week which is a big deal for me um so i'm really excited about that uh i'm slightly terrified it's like 28 minutes of tv but it's like it's going to feel like a lifetime as well as a blink i think in the same sentence Mm. but i'm really excited about that and you know, it's really important for me just getting the balance right. You know, I'm a mum of two. Uh, I'm a wife and I it's about making sure I get that balance right. So,
1: mm.
2: you know, I'm lucky enough that I'm doing the things that I want to do. Uh, and I also have a great support network that, uh, you know, really allow me to do the things that I want to do. So it's about, it's about the balance. I don't want to add anything else onto my plate at the minute because I'm loving what I'm doing.
0: Good. that's really good to hear and you're really busy but when you do get a little bit of time to chill out how do you like to kill a bit of time?
2: Normally walking around Hampstead Heath with my headphones on or playing Star Wars with my kids.
0: Yeah fair enough Star Wars is good but how good is it walking around the Heath? I feel like it's such an under it's like an underused place. Don't tell too
2: many people about it because I quite like it that way. Yeah
0: I mean there's the top of the, no I won't tell anyone (laughs) the top of the Heath is my favourite bit but um, is there a specific area of the Heath that you like or do you like just covering random parts of it? I'm
2: not going to tell you because then there'll be yeah <laughs> there be masses place.
0: of masses of people it's on my the place yeah. all right cool I'll take north you all take right. south um I know we're pushed for time so thank you very much my for pleasure. giving me some of yours to have a chat here and um yeah like I said soundtracking is amazing um the production value is really good on it
2: what do you want to um,
0: do what do I want to do
2: mm.
0: I want to continue making stuff to entertain and educate people so whether it's educating people about other broadcasters that have interesting things going on um we have a brother podcast called how to kill an hour where we investigate different ways to kill time um i'd like to produce visuals as well which i have been doing and yeah just continue my journey into broadcasting wicked and carry on cracking on thank you very much for my asking pleasure. Anna, even though this is no. all about you today
2: <laughs> it's um, conversational
0: it is indeed it is indeed it and be. and uh yeah if we, if we had more time um i would have loved to ask you loads more questions and and uh not rush through everything i feel it's been a little bit rushed today but no
2: i'm know, not that interesting
0: ah, <laughs> but yeah best of luck with uh, the film 2000 thank you. Cheers, 16, mate. and yeah all right cool
2: thanks cheers. for your time cheers right,
0: well thank you very much edith and thanks for asking me what i like to do as well um so now you know even though um this episode was all about her really um make sure you check out the amazing podcast called soundtracking i've put a link to that and also the other bits and bobs that edith is up to at the moment in the show description but thank you for listening to this episode which is produced and hosted by i marcus bronzy thank you To the co-producers, Billy Wright, Shane Powell, David Shawcross, special thank you to Milo Fisher in research, and Wide Awake, a.k.a. CJ Beats, and his mate Jordan Crisp for the intro and outro music and stings. Don't forget you can listen to Marcus Meets via podcasts for Apple devices. There's an app on iPhones and obviously iTunes if you're on a Mac. Or you can listen via Acast, which works with absolutely every single digital device that I know. If you're unsure of what will work with your phone, computer or whatever you're listening with, tablet, etc., you can head to marcusbronzycom forward slash meets to listen in any way you desire. I'd also love your feedback in the form of a rating and review, which you can do by going to marcusbronzycom forward slash review. That's M-A-R-C-U-S-B-R-O-N-Z-Y.com forward slash review. To make it simple, we've put a link in the description for you as well. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. The next one will actually contain some guests from another podcast, which I really, really like.
3: Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.
0: I look forward to bringing that to your ears. Thank you for listening. Ciao.